So I don't know about you guys, but I have loved this series on uh, the family. And at first, I'm not going to lie, when I saw the name Home Sweet Home, immediately came the song Home Sweet Home Alabama. Did anybody think of that? All right, that wasn't the only one. Uh, but it is, it's been a fantastic series on the family, although there's been times that I feel that Pastor Bruce uh, is trying to attack me personally with what he's teaching from the front. Uh, very convicting, very challenging, but it's been a great series just learning and being reminded of the roles of the family and the importance of the family. You see, throughout the entire Bible, you see over and over the picture of the family. Not only you see our, 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 our earthly family, but even the picture of the Heavenly Father as us who believe in the gospel. We now are part of a family, a Christian family. And the picture, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about this. In the Old Testament, uh, you have obviously from the beginning when Adam and Eve, what they were instructed to do, from that moment on, the family was instituted. But even in the Ten Commandments, you will find that there are two commandments that are specifically given for the sanctity of the family. All fathers or, or children, honor your father or your parents. Honor and respect your parents. And also do not indulge in adultery. One, instruction or preserving the, the importance of the authority at home, while the other, preserving the sanctity of marriage. And how throughout the Bible you see the importance of family. And yet our society, our culture is doing a great job of attacking our families. If you look at families in this world, you can tell that there is a lot of mess, there's a lot of disunity, there's a lot of uh, you know, conflict, there's, there's a lot of hurt, and ultimately you may even find families that are turning their allegiance away from God and placing it on things that this world has to offer. And it's not ironic that the world or Satan, as he's trying to propel this movement, is attacking the family since the family is such an important part of God's plan for this world. And so I love that we're doing this series. And Pastor Bruce started this series on Joshua chapter 24. And if you remember Joshua chapter 24, you have Joshua standing in front of the nation of Israel in Shechem, this city that is known for being a place of covenant. And he's standing in front of the nation of Israel, of the religious, or another religious leader, of the elders, of the leadership of this nation. And he's going to give them a challenge. He's going to say, hey, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, as they have endured all of these trials, as they have seen God working over and over, Joshua just gets done explaining all of the things that God has done for them. And he says to them, choose this day whom you will serve. That was the challenge. And while they were figuring it out, the, the commitment that Joshua made was this. He said, as for me and my home, my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, choose this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we saw how the people responded, we also will serve the Lord. And it's been an encouragement to me sitting here through this series and seeing how many of us in this room have made the decision. Now, there are some of you that have made this decision prior to the series, and praise God for that. But it's also been amazing to see those of you that have made this decision, that your names are written down on this piece of paper. That there's nothing magical about this paper, but that is simply an outward demonstration of a decision that you made inwardly. And so it's been a blessing to be able to see that. But today we're going to continue or conclude our series on the family. And for that, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And here's the thing. Last week, Pastor, Br Pastor Bruce addressed the specifics of the families. He talks about the, the specific role of the husband, the specific role of the wife, the specific role of the parent, and the specific role of the children. Now, 
When you do a series about family, it is expected that sometime along the way, you will find yourself doing one of the two things. You will turn yourself and allow this series to become simply a white noise. That you're not really paying attention to it because you may feel like this does not apply to you. When we're talking about husbands and wives, you may find yourself in a group where you will say, well, I don't have a husband, I don't have a wife, this doesn't apply to me. When you're talking about parents and children, you may not feel that this applies to you because you maybe are, not, you're not a parent or you are not considering yourself a child. You feel like you're an adult now. And so because of those things, it's easier to allow a series on the family to become white nose. But this other aspect is what I think that is most common, which is that we allow a series on the family to become like an ammunition. That as we're listening to the things that are taught from the pulpit, we're looking at those things that are taught as ammunition that we can use and unload on somebody. I remember when I was a teenager, the first time I ever heard a series on the family, I was about 11, 12 years old. I, I, it, was, it was the first time. And I remember sitting on the, pool, or the pew, we didn't have pew, we had more like chairs. And I'm sitting in the chairs and the pastor is going on for weeks. And normally what I would do is that whenever the pastor has started to talk, I would turn my head down and start imagining different scenarios. I know that none of you do that here, but that was me. I would imagine myself as a professional baseball player or a Navy SEAL, even though I was born in the DR and I will never be a Navy SEAL. But nonetheless, I will imagine myself all of these different scenarios. But I remember that this particular series, I was doing what I normally do and I'm looking down, minding my own business in my head. The pastor's going over and over and over. And then he gets to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 that says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. God, amen. You are my God. Pastor, preach it. I felt that. I have never felt like someone spoke to me so directly than in that moment. And so I did what any smart person would do is that I took note of that mentally, not physically because I didn't have a book, but then I went home and I waited for the perfect time that my parents will get mad at me and I would unload this ammunition on them and I would say, well, no, 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 you heard the pastor, you are not to provoke me in anger. Now, I'm sure you're doing this, but my parents being Hispanic, it did not go well. And it's by the grace of God that I'm here today uh, because, you know, I don't understand how I made it, but somehow I'm here today. But that's how we do a series like this. You know, the pastor is talking about the husband and, and, and the wife is just thinking, man, I hope my husband is listening. The, wife, the, the pastor is talking about the wife and the husband is like, man, I hope she's listening. She's in the children's wing, so I'm going to grab that paper and run it that way so that she makes sure she signs it and she accepts the challenge to submit to the Lord. You know, this whole, it's true story. <laughs> we do all of these things where we're thinking that the, we're thinking about somebody else when a series on the family is happening. But let not that be the case this time around. Because what we're going to find today in chapters 5, as Paul is starting this address, to, as he's doing this introduction to the, to the church in Ephesus, he's going to say something that was going to serve as a foundation to all of those in attendance in the church. That it did not matter whether they were husband or wife, fathers or children, adults or young adults, or they don't matter how old, what demographic, what the stage of life they were in. It didn't matter their social class. The statement that he was going to make was going to apply to every single one of those in attendance. And the hope is that today as we discuss it, that it will challenge you and I to recognize this call, this foundational statement that Paul is doing and that we will apply in our life. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, 
Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself off for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In chapter 4, Paul just get done dealing with the Ephesians, the, the, church, or the, the believers in Ephesus. And the way that he deals with them is that he's reminding them of the fact that once they believe in the gospel, they're not longer like the world is. They're not longer Gentiles. Instead, as a new believer, they have been created into a new life. They are a new creation that is created in the likeness of God. That their purpose now is not to behave like the world is with this unity, with sexual immorality, with conflict. That instead they are to recognize that they are a new creation created in the image of God and to live in honor and to live to honor God. And so this is what's happening in chapter 4. In chapter 5, Paul addresses now the families. But before he gets to talk about the husband, the wife, the children, the parents, he said this statement here. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, as a new creation, as someone that is not longer lost, as someone that is not longer slave to sin, as somebody that is not confined by the enticement of their flesh, that now they are sending free, forgiven, as someone that is a new creation, be imitators of God. This is your call. Imitate God as a beloved children. Pastor Bruce addressed the whole dynamic, how a child wants to be like his father or his parents, that they will pick up things that they do and they will do for better or for worse. They will imitate those things. And to hear the challenge, be imitator of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What a challenging thing he's saying here. Before we talk about husbands leading and loving your wife like Christ loved the church, uh, before we talk about wives submitting to the, her husband as unto the Lord, before we talk about children obeying their fathers or parents, before we talk about parents not provoking their children to anger, we must talk about this first. The calling for every single one that we must be imitators of God as beloved children. And so the whole thought process here is this. We imitate God by walking in love. We are imitators of God by walking in love. And how do we walk in love? By looking at the example of Jesus Christ. And I love the word picture that he has here of the fragrant offering and the sacrifice to God. Because this idea will carry all the way back to the Old Testament. In fact, the first time that is mentioned, this, this idea of the aroma or something rising unto the Lord, is found in the book of uh, Genesis when it's referring to Noah. Noah, the flood is over and he creates this altar and he sacrificed all, he sacrificed clean animals from all different kinds. And he does that as a way to honor God and to bring sacrifice and to bring honor to him and to uh, celebrate what has happened. But this idea of sacrifice Africa, Africa, runs even deeper. For you see in the book of Leviticus, we are instructed about different types of sacrifice that they needed to do. Sacrifice like burnt offering, that it was a sacrifice that it was done as a way to pay penalty for sin. That sin, whereas we know in the book of Romans, it said that the wages of sin is death, that there's a payment that needs to be made. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, that penalty was paid through sacrifice. And the idea was that when they presented the sacrifice before the Lord, that act of obedience will be remonstrated by the 
incest or the smell, the aroma rising onto the Lord, and the Lord will look at that and please. That is the idea that you see here when it comes to the idea of Jesus. That the perfect example of walking in love was demonstrated in Jesus as being the one who turned himself as a perfect sacrifice unto the Lord for your, for your, for your behalf, for my behalf. And the way that he did that was such that it was pleasing to the Lord. This right here was crucial. The church of Ephesus was in a situation very similar to ours. It was a church that found themselves in the most important province in Asia. It was a church that uh, had uh, trading routes that will go through all of it. It was a church that had commerce. It was a church that was diverse. It was a church that had importance for this, for the Roman Empire. But it was also in Asia that there was the temple of the goddess of Diana or Artemis. This goddess that was considered the goddess of fertility. A goddess that the way that you will worship her was by participating in the sexual immoralities or by participating in, in idolatry. And so that is why in the book of Acts, Paul is going to say to them, hey, as you are a church, make sure that you're watching and that you're discerning of the wolves that are going to come in and they're going to try to persuade you to start worshiping God in the same way that they worship Diana or Artemis. That is why in the book of Revelation, when Jesus writes those seven letters, the first letter to Ephesus, we're told that there is that the, we're told that they were a church that had really good, sound doctrine, that they were able to discern between good and bad teachers. But also, we're told that this was a church that struggled with one aspect, with love, that this was a church that had forgotten their first love. And although this happened after this letter, you can still see here Paul's heart for this church, that they needed to understand that there is their call, their challenge to recognize that as beloved children, we are to imitate God by living in light of the example of Jesus. That if you are a Christian, old and young, married or unmarried, with kids, no kids, professional, not professional, that you are to love God that you are to imitate God by walking in, love, in light of the example of Jesus. That was the commitment. That's what the church in Ephesus needed to understand. If we get this wrong, then we cannot expect to have a home that is glorifying to the Lord. If the husband is not imitating God by walking in love in, the, in light of the example of Jesus, we're not going to have a, holy, a, 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 a godly man. If the wife is not imitating God by walking in light of the example of Jesus, she's not going to be doing it in a way that honors God. Same goes for the children. Same goes for the parents. And so this whole idea, before we address the family, there has to be a commitment made. And I love the statement, the, the statement that he makes. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, if there's any of us that may find ourselves in a position here that we understand that we are to imitate God and we understand that we do that by looking at the example of Jesus, but maybe you find yourself here today and you're saying, well, what is the example that he laid out for us? For that, we're actually gonna go to the book of Philippians because Philippians lays it out pretty clear. What is the example that Jesus laid out for us? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. And the verses are on the screen too if you need to follow there. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look not, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now watch this, verse 5. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but empty him himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highlighted, exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You want an example of Jesus? Well, to start with, let's look at the cross. Let's look what happened there. That God, being God himself, part of the Trinity, now, we talk about this often and we forget truly what it encompasses. That God, part of the Trinity, who did not have to do that because it was you and me who rebelled against him. And yet, because while we were sinners, he still found it upon himself to come down on the form of man. He humbled on the form, took on the form of man, lived life the way that you and I will live life, yet without sin. And in this so, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for your sins, for my sins. So that through him, whoever believes can have eternal life, who have abundance of life. This is the example that Jesus laid out for us. And so when you go to, to Ephesians and Paul is talking to this church, he's making a similar challenge that Joshua is doing to the nation of Israel. You see, when Joshua is addressing the nation of Israel, he's not just talking to those that had a home. He's not just talking to those that were parents. He's not just talking to those that were married. He was talking to the whole nation of Israel. And he's saying, hey, in a, in a society like theirs that was filled with idolatry, that was filled with false gods, that was filled with uh, terrible uh, sexual immorality, he's saying to them, hey, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Now that we have come to a point where we have received this, this uh, uh, promised land, you are gonna, you're going to enjoy things that you didn't work for. You're going to uh, experience things that you didn't labor for. Now that you're in a point where you have made it, Choose this day whom you will serve. That was a challenge for the entirety of the nation of Israel. Old and young. Didn't matter whether they married or not. There was no one in that attendance. There was no one in the audience that this challenge would have not applied. And while the congregation was still trying to figure out how they will answer, Joshua gets ahead and boldly said, as for me, and anything that I have power over, anything that I have authority over, anything that I'm responsible over, I will serve the Lord. That was the commitment to which the congregation responded, we would also serve the Lord. This is what Paul is doing here to the Ephesians as he's getting ready to transition into the family. Before we get to talk about the family, you need to get this, that we are to imitate God. 
That we are to look at God and look at his example as a beloved children who were given. Understand this, you and I do not deserve to be children of God. But it's through his sacrifice on the cross with Jesus that we were granted the adoption. That we can go to God and say, I have a father. That we can call him father. And as such, it should be our commitment to recognize that and to imitate him by living in light of the example of Jesus who he laid out for us. So what are some of the examples more specific of the things that Jesus did for us? Well, for starters, Jesus served. Have you really thought through that? That Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. That the Son of God, God himself, who was the creator of the world, who did not have to not only come on the form of man, but that actually served. I mean, Jesus could have lived his entire life and just died on the cross, and that would have been more sufficient than what we needed. That would have been more than we would ever imagine. And yet, the example that he laid for us was one that he himself would serve. He would go to his disciples, even, even as he's getting ready to go on the journey of the cross, he will take the time to minister to them, to serve them by cleaning their feet. Why is it that us, as believers, we think that we are beyond serving? Why is it that us, as believers, those that by extension have experienced the grace of God, why is it that we have a hard time making ourselves available to serve? You may be here today and you may not find yourself in a place where you're serving currently, where you're not serving your church, where you're not serving your, the believers in this congregation. And if that is you today, maybe the challenge that you need to recognize today, that if you are to serve the Lord, that if you are to imitate God, then maybe that needs to start with you serving. And what a blessing it is that our church outside, where we have so many opportunities for service, that we're not lacking room for service. And that you today could make it an effort to find a way to serve. But that is the example that we have in Jesus, that he was willing to serve. But it doesn't end there. The example continues, he forgave. When you think about the journey of the cross, you find Jesus enduring everything that he endured for your sake and my sake. He endured hurt, he endured mockery. He endured uh, blasphemy. He endured all of these things so that you and I could have a relationship with God. But the thing that, that shocks me at times when I read the passage on the story of the, the, uh, of the journey of the cross is that Jesus was already dying for the sins of the world. That his payment, his sacrifice on the cross was going to cover everything. And as he is standing on the cross... As he is on hanging on the cross, you have the mockery of two different thieves who deserve to be there. You have the soldiers that are playing with his, that are playing lots with his garments. You have the religious leaders that are making fun of him. You have the Israelites that are also there making fun of him. And in all of this, you could have said, Jesus, don't do anything else. You are already dying for their sins. But instead, he takes the time to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Had that really resonated with you? That as he is hanging on the cross to pay the full debt of the entire world, he's still taking grasp, grasping air to say and to plead for the Father, forgive these people here, for they're not realizing what they're truly doing. That when the thief who at first was making fun of him and mockering, and mockering him, 
then later on realizes who is that is in the middle of the cross and he realizes who Jesus is and he goes and confronts the other thief and says, hey, do you realize who that is? And please with God, hey, remember me when you're in heaven that Jesus could have said anything. Now, fam, we're good. You were making fun of me. Now you're going to find out. He could have done something like that, but no, he says, I tell you this, you're going to be with me in paradise. This is the whole idea of forgiveness. How we forgive because we were forgiven so much more. And so it may be here today, you may be here today, and this maybe is how it applies to you. That what you need to do to imitate God in your life is to start forgiving those that have hurt you. And let me be transparent. There may be some of you here today that you have endured hurt. That you have endured things that you should have never endured. That you have experienced things in your life that no one should ever experience. And I'm sorry for that. Know that that was not the design of God for this world. That sin that is the cause of all hurt is in the midst of all of those things. But know this, that you can forgive because you were forgiven. And since you were forgiven the greatest penalty in the world, which is what you owe to God for your sins, And how that separated you from from, from our relationship with God. Since you were forgiven that, you have all that you need to be able to forgive others. If you want to imitate God, then maybe start with forgiving. Number three, not only did he forgive, not only did he serve, he also restored. I love the picture of Jesus interacting with Peter. Peter just gets done denying Jesus three times. He gets, he, he's, he's away, he's at a point that some may say that he was either willing to give up ministry or the calling for God in his life, or he was just catching a break, wherever it was. You see that Jesus makes it a purpose to meet him where he was at and to prepare for them and he, the other disciples at breakfast. And in that moment, Jesus is going to take time to restore Peter. He's going to take time to encourage Peter, to remind him of the calling that he gave him when he said, out of you, I'm going to make a fisherman, of, I'm going to make fisher of men. He took time to restore. Maybe for you and me today, what we need to consider are those people around us that are broken, that they made poor decisions, that they have struggled in their life. They may not be your son. They may not be your husband. It may not be your wife. It may not be someone you know, but there are people in this church. There are people around us that have made mistakes and that they feel defeated. And how awesome it will be if us as a church, we will be diligent and willing to recognize those individuals. And just like Jesus, go out out of our way to restore. Listen, there are a lot of marriages in this world that are hurting. Young adults are getting married early with no clue of what they're getting themselves into. And as they're in their year one, year two, year three, they're still trying to figure it out. And if you're here today, and you have been married for 20 years, however many years, how awesome it will be for you to take an opportunity to go to those young adults, to recognize that they're hurting, that they're broken, that they're defeated, and for you as someone that graciously have done well to come alongside and encourage them and lift them up. This is the example that we see in Jesus. He restored, but he also challenged. He challenged those that needed to be challenged, those religious leaders that thought that they had it all figured out, that they thought that they were above reproach, Jesus will take time to address them and to confront them. 
to recognize that it's not so much a matter of the mind, but so much a matter of the heart. That you can say and know all the things you want, but if you don't embrace it in your heart, if you don't apply it in your heart first, then it worth nothing. But not only did he challenge, he also comforted. I love the fact that he will take time to comfort those that were hurting. Like his friends that would experience loss, and he will come alongside of them and encourage them. It may be that what you need to do to imitate God is to recognize the people around you that are hurting. And for you to come alongside of them and comfort them. He also embraced Jesus was known the, the friends of sinners, not because he sinned himself, but because he will associate himself with people that were known to be sinners. There are people in our worlds that fit that category. In fact, all of us are sinners. So we all fit that category. But why is it that somewhere along the way, we find ourselves thinking that we're more righteous than we actually are? Why is it that somewhere along the way we think that we're better off than those that are doing sin? Just because we disagree on certain things, we think of ourselves to be better than them, when in reality is we're all sinners and all in desperate need of a Savior. And how much of a blessing it is that you have seen this Savior, that you have embraced this Savior, and how much of an opportunity you have to take that same Savior that can turn someone who is blind to be able to see, someone who is lost to be able to be found. Take someone like that, this, this message of the gospel to someone like that and share it with them. Why is it that we have such a hard time embracing those that are so different than us? And let me hear me out. I'm not saying embracing their sin. I'm not saying applauding and, 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 and celebrating their sin. But recognizing that them as an individual... They are in desperate need of the gospel. And you who call yourself a Christian, you have all the tools that you need to bring someone who is dead to life, which is solely done through the gospel of Jesus. That's the example that we see that he embraced. And ultimately, the example that we see in Jesus is that he sacrificed. Jesus sacrificed. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to sacrifice. He didn't have to come here on earth and die for your sin and my sins because, again, you and I deliberately chose to sin against God. And even after we believe in the gospel, we at times deliberately choose to sin. Even those that we have known the truth, even though we know what we should do, we still at times choose to not do what we need to do. And we choose to give in to sin. And yet, while we were sinners, Jesus Christ came to die for your sin, for my sin. He was willing to sacrifice himself as the perfect sacrifice, as the perfect aroma, as the perfect offering for your place and my place. And yet we have so much of a hard time sacrificing things of our own, sacrificing time, comfort, finances, resources, and the list can go on. And yet the example that we see of Jesus is one that he was willing to sacrifice. So if you really want to imitate God, you need to follow the example of Jesus. And Paul says in chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering in Jesus Christ. If you are to imitate God, if you want to imitate God, we do this by living in the example that we see in Jesus 
As the band gets ready to sing one more song, there's a question I want to ask. A question that I want you to think through as we are concluding this time. You see, throughout the series, you have had an opportunity to make a commitment, to make a decision. Day one, it was, will you choose today to serve the Lord? Day two, will you choose today to clean the idols of your house? Day three, will you choose to be the husband that you're called to be? Will you choose to be the, the wife that you're to be? Will you choose to be the children that you ought to be? Will you choose to be the parents that you ought to be? For, for today, the question is, will you commit to serving the Lord by following the example of Jesus? Will you commit this morning? If you haven't done already, maybe you've done this a long time ago. Will you commit this morning to serve the Lord? by the example that we see in Jesus.